Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm your host, Joachim Axon. Let's start with the water. Today, we're doing Ramune. Now, this is not sparkling water, if we're being honest, you know? This is soda, but it's Japanese. Let's start with this one. So the company is called Sangaria. Isn't that fun? I just woke up. I'll tell you why in a sec, but I mean, not why I woke up. I woke up because it's morning. Ramune is the glass bottle with the bead, with the bead in there. It's like a very iconic type of bottle. Can I even get the plastic off of here? All right, so there's a lot of instructions here on the plastic. <clears throat> Six steps. Step one, serve Ramune chilled. Step two, remove the plastic film. Step three, pop out the center from the cap, which will be used to open the bottle. All right. Don't know what that means. Place the opener at the top of the bottle and press down firmly. Five, drink with the indented neck side facing down to trap the marble. Yeah, that's the thing. It's got this like very iconic marble. Step six, enjoy. Oh, you pop out a thing from the top. Yeah, and you give yourself a little tool to press down. Okay, let's press down. So this is the first one, orange flavored. Ramune premium carbonated soft drink, orange. Ooh, you press down, a head of foam appears. There's a marble. Let's try it. Oh, it's good. It's good. Now it's a glass bottle, so I wish they made it so that I'm drinking and my lips are touching the glass, but really my lips are touching the plastic. And that kind of fucks up the experience for me. Ah, it tastes... It's nice. It's a soft drink. It's a soft drink for a Japanese kid. But it's a very fresh orange flavor. And orange is delicious. Sangaria. Ask an adult to open the bottle for you. <laughs> uh, that kind of assumes that we're not adults drinking this, huh? All right. It, it's nice. For a soda, it's nice. I'm going to give it a... I'm going to give it a seven. Nothing spectacular. Would have given it a nine if it if if it just had like a beautiful, like Mexican Coke. You drink it out of that glass. I don't even know if Mexican Coke is better because people say it's better because it's sugar cane instead of like fake sugar or whatever. Like, I don't even know what the sugar is in America. Beets. But really, I think Mexican Coke is better because your, your lips touch the glass. And it's like the only time when you can drink out of a glass and get the sharpest bubbles. Because if you take a can of Coke and pour it into a glass, you get to drink out of glass, but you lost the bubbles, you know? Anyway, for this episode, <clears throat> first of all, I'm just going to let it rip. There's going to be no editing because this is all about the honesty. 
I'm gonna try to do. Oh, I feel so. I feel immediately. I feel afraid. I feel afraid and like I feel like I can't do this. I'm gonna try to do a fourth step. Actually, it's a fifth step. So the way these steps work, okay? The way the program works is that step four is an inventory. It's you with pen and paper. And you sit down and you write down your fears and your resentments and you do an inventory of your sex conduct. And you figure out what are you de- what are your deepest, deepest resentments and your deepest, deepest fears. And then when you're done with that, You find another human being and you tell another human being those things. Now, classically, that's done with your sponsor. Now, I've already done this once with my sponsor. And I didn't, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. I didn't, I didn't feel the way I wanted to feel about it. And that's not like, I don't think you should have an expectation probably. I don't think you should worry about how you feel about it. I think you should just do it. Those are like the instructions. Just do it. The fourth step is like do it do it as comprehensive as you can and focus on the last part of it, which is here's the key to the whole thing, okay? The key to the whole thing is list your deepest, deepest resentments and your fears and, and do an inventory of your sex conduct and then find where you're at fault, Find what your role was in it. Like when you look at your deepest resentments, look at why, what your role was. Where were you self-seeking and where were you selfish and where were you acting frightened and how is it, how does it actually come back to you? That's the point. But, um, so I told my sponsor I was going to do it again. So I did a fourth step again. And then the fifth step is I'm supposed to talk to him again and do it, you know, with him. But really, I'm going to do it here. And that's not the instructions, dude. You're not supposed to do it publicly. It's not how it's done. But for some reason, I feel like this is my space and this space belongs to me and I can do whatever I want here. And um, I don't know. I feel like I can be honest here. I don't know if that's true. That's probably not true. Uh, whatever. So, where do I start, you know? This is awful. I feel awful. Um, <clears throat> resentments. So, I think if I sit with myself fully, I think... My resentment is pretty simple, and it's um, it goes back to when I was young, and what it is is that I resent, there's this archetype image in my mind of the normal people that I used to know, and it's, I can really put my finger on what period of my life that was, and who those people are. And then they sort of fused together into one image. It's like five, six, seven people, but they fused together into just one image and one feeling, and they they symbolized the normal people. And it's not when I was very young. It's not when I was like in first and second grade. 
uh, it's not the friends I had then because those friends, we had an uncomplicated childhood friendship. And then it's not the people I knew outside of school because they were like my nerd friends. It's the people I went to second, third, fourth, fifth. It's like I went to grade school with the same people. They followed me for pretty much the full first to ninth grade. Is that right? I think that's right. Um, yeah. And um, if I'm being honest, I think a part of it, just on the face of it, is that I had these five, six, seven friends and they were upper middle class. Their parents, it's like there's this one girl, her dad is a doctor, and she, in fifth grade, she's like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. There's this one guy, his dad is an engineer, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to be an engineer. And, you know, things like that. And then me, I don't know how to describe my own socioeconomic position, but maybe some sort of Swedish middle class, you know? God, this is all, this is all very shameful to talk about. But that's the point. It's because it's shameful that we have to talk about this. Um, I think it's a little bit complicated because like, I think my dad is pure, strictly speaking, very destitute poverty, not even middle class. Like starts out working class, nose dives like that's his life path and then on my mom's side of the family i think her parents are like sort of wealthy so then as a kid with with half of each of those things i think maybe you end up being sort of lower middle class maybe um and i think maybe part of it is that you know and another thing is swedish regionalism is another important tension here where for some reason, more than other people, even though these five, six, seven people I talk about that I was jealous of or that fused into this thing that I have resentments towards, even though they were also from where I was from, I just have this tension in my mind where I'm from the southernmost region of Sweden, Skåne. It's like the fucking Oklahoma, you know? It's the Alabama of Sweden. It's very rural. People have a very embarrassing accent. And it's just seen as this sort of shitty, embarrassing, country bumpkin thing. And it's more complicated than that, but that's how I felt about it. And I always felt less than than the people from the big cities, you know? People from Stockholm, people from the big cities. So that's one tension. <clears throat> But um, but then the most then the most important part of this is that I was a kid and I I saw my dad and I saw my dad's life situation and when you're a kid when you're young enough I think for a lot of people the image of your parents that's your only image like that's the only home life that you know really closely. And you don't know other options. So you kind of, 
yeah, I mean, you see your parents and you kind of feel like that's what it'll be like when I grow up. And maybe some people spend enough time over at their friends' house and maybe some people just have parents that are social enough that they bring the kids out and the kids get to see many things in a full spectrum way where the kids can feel like there are many life paths and maybe the kids can get good data and the kids can sort of see that like if I at a young age do things like this that will lead to a result that's sort of like that and you can see different paths maybe I don't know but for me it was more like I uh, saw my parents and I thought that was the only path and I had um a best friend and I spent a lot of time at his house and I think there was a little bit of a similarity with how that friend his yeah his home life was also kind of miserable um and my dad he had a lot of mental health issues and he was depressed and he was he had a drinking problem and he wasn't like a violent drunk or an angry drunk he was just a depressed drunk he was the kind of drunk who like doesn't get out of bed you know and um my parents got divorced and and um my dad never really got anywhere and the point is that i think very early in my life my subconscious made this sort of analysis error, this sort of logical error, where the conclusion that my subconscious came to was that my dad had chosen a path of normality and that the path of normality had put him in the situation he was in, where he has absolutely no money and just wakes up in the morning and doesn't get out of bed and then eats like a piece of white bread with yellow cheese on it and then like sits down in front of the television and watches TV and drinks a bunch of beer and and like gets really glassy-eyed and then falls asleep. And it's like, that's because he chose a path of normality. So very early in life, I just felt like I need to do something different and special and extraordinary or just weird. I didn't know in which direction, which direction I wanted to go away from normality, but I knew I wanted to get away from normality. And then if you sort of fast forward through all of that, I think it made me decide that school doesn't matter because school, having good grades is just the path of normality. So Instead, it was like, well, let's party really hard and do weird things. And and real early in life, as early as I could, I I moved to China and, and just like, you know, did weird things. And um, looking back on that, that was clearly a mistake because it was the other way around. Because... Those people that I resent, those people that had parents who are like engineers and doctors and stuff, they put themselves, they chose the path of normality. They didn't end up where my dad is. They ended up having any, op like every option. Because then 
now they're 34 and they're engineers and doctors and vets. And at that point, you can do whatever you want, you know. It's just a normal life. And then my path of choosing to not do good in school and stuff, that puts me where my dad is. My dad didn't even finish like eighth grade, you know? Like my dad has every single problem. He probably has an undiagnosed dyslexia, undiagnosed ADHD, everything, you know? And uh, I don't know. And then you get to this. So if you're talking about it in a fourth step way, I think the resentment really is towards my dad more than these people. Um, the resentment is towards my dad because I resent that he just could never just give me any good information. If he had just explained anything to me, I wouldn't have to be here. And no one gave me any information and I feel resentful towards that. And then, you know, you do it step work style. You get to this last column on your piece of paper. And really what all of this is about is, but so how am I responsible for this? And I think what I've realized is that the way I'm responsible is that I'm the person keeping myself on this life track. Like there's no reason for me to stay. Only I choose to stay on this life track. Like sure, when I was like 15, I chose to do bad in school. And then when I was 19, I chose to move to China. And then, but then it just keeps going, you know? And I mean, it's not black and white. Like in my 20s, I went back to Sweden and finished school. I got a second degree, blah, blah, blah. You know, I've done some things and I've gotten much further. I don't know. It's not black and white. But the point is that I still feel like it's black and white. And I feel resentment towards. Yeah. I don't know. I'm the one keeping myself on this path. Maybe we should go to another water. Ramune peach. You know, I really like peach drinks. All right, let's try it. Ooh, very strong peach smell. This one is a little bit cloudy. I like that. You know, peach juice, it's got this sort of like just pink tint. Oh, fuck, that's good. Ooh. Yeah, it's a mix of real peach flavor and fake peach flavor. I'll tell you that. I want to see the ingredients. Ingredients. Carbonated water, sugar, natural flavor, peach, citric acid, sodium citrate. Yeah, it's very simple. There's quite a bit of salt in here. 30 milligrams of sodium. Mmm. That is... That is... You hear that marble? That's that marble in a glass bottle. Such an iconic bottle. Again, I'm drinking... My lips touch a piece of plastic on top instead of touching the glass, which is such a, such a darn shame. Um, that one is better. It's an 8 out of 10. I love peach. 
And that's just like sweet, sweet peach flavor, like canned peaches in peach syrup, you know? Mmm. And you know what I think about that with some vanilla ice cream? Oh-wee. Boy, I'm a sugar lizard. Um, yeah. So the reason I'm talking about this today is... Um, because I woke up this morning from a nightmare, and the nightmare is, oh, this is all so embarrassing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can talk about this. I don't even know if this is going to be a podcast episode, but let's just try to be honest here for me, you know? The dream was <clears throat> that... It was like a movie. It was like an Avengers-style superhero movie with lots of superheroes with different superpowers. And we're, I'm watching it. I'm not really part of it, but I'm there. And I'm very afraid. I don't have any superpowers. I'm very afraid because um, we're on a train and there's an enormous cannon mounted on a very, very long train, like, you know, 30 train cars flatbed train cars and there's like this 200 meter enormous laser cannon mounted on these things but the inside of the cannon has like chairs and stuff and it's like public transport it looks like a subway car so there's people inside of the cannon and the cannon is about to go off so we're all like running and trying to get out of the cannon and then there's like superheroes flying around everywhere and i'm afraid because i don't want to get blown up and a lot of things happen, and then the the cannon goes off, and things it, there's a feeling like things are going well, but I don't feel good about it. I just feel like a fearful, tiny little human being the whole time, because you know I'm on the outside of a cannon, barreling through like a snowy landscape, like I'm in trouble, you know, and. The cannon goes off. It's some sort of enormous laser cannon. It heats up slowly and then it shoots. And I don't even know what it's shooting at, but it shoots at something and things go. There's a happy ending thing that happens. And there's superheroes everywhere. And then there's sort of like, it think we fall back one level and I start to realize that it was a movie because there's like credits rolling. And then I re realized that all these superheroes are people from people that I knew as a kid people that I went to fifth grade sixth grade seventh grade with it's all of those people they are the people flying around the cannon and when the credits roll there's like this thing of how this is kind of complicated but there's this thing of how the credits are interspersed with like quotes from them and pieces of paper showing that the cast of this movie, that they're friends in real life. That's what the credits are trying to show us. You know how sometimes it's like that? How sometimes you watch, uh, I don't know, this is hard to describe, but sometimes you watch a movie or a music video or something where it's trying to show you that these celebrities actually have a 
they're actually friends. They're actually all friends, and they have a fun, interesting life full of rich friendships. They're a group of friends. If for some reason it reminds me of, there's this song, there's a music video to the song by the uh, rap music collective Odd Future. There's this music video to the song Oldie. It's this, um, the song's called Oldie. It's a long seven, eight minute song with this chill beat. And there's like seven or eight people that do like a little verse on the song. And in the music video, the music video is not really a music video. It's just that someone's filming while they're doing a photo shoot. It's for XXL Magazine. And Terry Richardson is doing a photo shoot with all the people from Odd Future. And then the way I think it happened sort of is that you have these eight dudes who were friends and who made the song. And then while they're doing the photo shoot, this song comes on. And because this song comes on, they, when each person's verse comes up, they just sort of do the verse. And then they do the verse into a camera because someone is just sort of filming while they're doing a photo shoot. And it has this very organic nature to it where you are being sold, as you watch it, you're being sold this idea that these people are all friends and that these people just organically have fun as they are living their lives as celebrities. And the whole thing of this group of people, the Odd Future Music Collective, is very interesting because it's it, it they make music, they make clothing, they have a clothing store. It's all sort of spearheaded by this guy, Tyler, the creator. But there's people in the group that don't do anything. And they are still always there. They don't get thrown out because there's this aspect to it where they're not just selling you He's not just producing music. The rappers are not just writing verses. They're not just designing shoes and socks. They're also selling you this other thing, which is the idea of their friendship. So there's like out of the eight of them, five or six have now made rap albums, but there's two or three that just hang out. They just hang out. And it's just... I keep returning to this concept of friendship pornography, but I really believe that friendship is a rarely spoken about product that we are being sold more often than we realize. And I think it's incredibly insidious and I think it's it makes us feel really bad when we're being sold friendship because... It creates this idea in our mind that there are these people out there who have it easy, who easily have a group of eight friends, and they're just always with their eight friends. And they get to make money and stuff, and they all they get to always be in the room with their eight friends. And they they don't need me time, and they don't need to be on their phones a bunch to organize a meeting up with all the friends because the friends are just there in the room. And they just move as a school of fish and they just enjoy themselves. They just enjoy life. They just have a tribe. And um, that's what we're being sold in that music video, Oldie. I very much recommend I mean, it's a very pleasant song. And the um, 
music video really sells this idea of friendship like that. And so going back to this dream I woke up from this morning, sometimes a movie is like that, where in the outro, they show you a little bit of behind the scenes footage and the sort of feeling transmitted through the behind the scenes footage is that these people had a lot of fun doing it. These people had a lot of fun making this movie. And these celebrities are all friends and they're living some sort of dream, some sort of perfect reality. And my feeling as these sort of scraps of paper and behind the scene footage and quotes and these things interspersed with the credits show up showing me that this movie is about these people where the actors are all friends. I, my feeling is a bad feeling because I, I don't feel part of it, even though for a moment there, I was like in the movie and I was afraid and I thought the cannon was going to kill me. And even though all these people that are playing these superheroes are people I went to fifth grade with, I feel excluded. And I think it's fuck that. It's so weird. Oh, God, this is so fucking hard to explain. But that's how I felt. And so then I wake up and then I think that's my fear, you know. I think that's my fear and that's my resentment and that's where I'm at. I feel like those people are somewhere and they're all in the same room together and they don't have to organize that. And I mean, it's obviously insane. It's obviously insane. Like they are not always in the same room together. And if they do want to meet up, they do have to get their phones out and they do have to organize that. And I think they do meet up, but... I don't know. I can't shake that fear and that feeling and that resentment and and the fear. If I if I like um, expressed this in the form of a fear, the fear is that I will be sort of called out in a sort of um, abstract social media world where people from that world will send me a message or something and be like, "Dude, you're not part of the group." You never amounted to anything. You, you suck. I think part of it, a big part of it is the job stuff where like, <clears throat> I work in a restaurant. Maybe. <laughs> That's a different story, but I don't know if I work in a restaurant right now, but I'm supposed to be working in a restaurant and then we'll see. Give it, give it two, three weeks and we'll see. Um, Kind of been laid off multiple times in the last two weeks, but that's neither here nor there. Or I mean, it is part of the story. But but I work in a restaurant and and I I make good money, but it's it's embarrassing because it's restaurant work. It's embarrassing because it's restaurant work. And those people, you know, being a veterinarian, being a doctor, being an engineer working for the government in Sweden as an engineer. That's what you end up with if you as a 17-year-old choose a path of normality. And you, you say, hey, maybe it's, maybe it's cool to get kind of good grades. And, and then if you do what I did and spend a decade in China and fucking wander over to America and just sort of like, I don't know, you end up... 
dangerously close to where my dad is. I don't know. I think this is helping, actually. Just saying this out loud, because none of it makes sense, and these are not real fears, and and everything about this is crazy, because, like, the dream was, in the dream, I'm looking at this situation, I'm looking at that I, I, I find, basically what the dream is, that I find out that there's a movie, an Avengers-style, high-budget Hollywood movie, and all the people that I went to fifth grade with have been cast in this movie, except me. And one of the, for some reason, I have a feeling that one of them is an actual actor, and then everyone else is just sort of like gets invited along because there's one of them that's a real actor. I don't know who the one that's a real actor is supposed to be there, but but that's how I felt. And then they, I don't know. I don't know. And then during the, the credits, while the credits are rolling, I'm watching these this like behind-the-scenes footage where Cyclops and fucking Henrik Svensson, they're, they're friends in real life. Henrik Svensson, Robert Malmgren or Malmberg, can never remember the second half of his last name. Martina, can't remember her last name. Andrea Elmelid, she definitely... Is she a doctor now? Who knows? Anna Sinemark, she's definitely a horse doctor. You know, these are... Uh... The people that chose the path of normality. I remember actually being in a therapist's office uh, when I was 15 years old and being... I don't know what people around me thought my mental health issue was, but maybe I was like depressed or something. Um, I remember finding myself in a therapist's office at 15, and I remember being able to verbalize that thought, at least, that I was saying that I am really afraid of living a normal life, is what I told my therapist. And then she was like, so why? Like, And then she asked me to talk about my parents' life, and I was like, yeah, my parents don't really do anything. They mostly just go to work, and then they come home and watch TV. And then she was like, do they have any hobbies? And I was like, I was I was in it enough that I was trying to be defensive, or I felt defensive, and I wanted to defend my parents and make it sound like, look, they're not total fucking failures and losers. And I was like, no, dude, my mom, like, my mom goes for walks and stuff. Like, she's not totally, uh, totally uh, incapacitated in life. Like, Jesus, she goes for walks. And then the therapist was like, she goes for walks? Like, that's all she does? Is she 90 years old? And she wasn't. She wasn't. But she had a... She didn't... I mean, I don't know. She didn't have a very rich life. She was like, not recently divorced, but... I, yeah. I don't know exactly how to explain my parents' life situation, but... In that therapist's office... I got the first pieces of information where the therapist was like, dude, this situation that you're describing with your parents, that's not the only outcome that's possible for someone like you. But I chose not to absorb that information. Like I have so much resentment towards the world around me, but really I was so selective in which information I chose to absorb. 
you know, I'm resentful towards my dad for giving me these genes, you know, the alcoholic gene, propensity to become an addict, all this stuff. And for not giving me any information on which path leads to which outcome. You know, the paths available to you as a 15 year old. I have this resentment where I feel like no one told me that if you do bad in school, you, you become a loser. But it's like, what a ridiculous resentment to have. <laughs> because, because of course that information was available to me. That's ridiculous. Of course I knew that. I just chose not to hear it. Everyone knows that. It's obvious. I'm the one who chose to be here, to get here. <sighs> but I'm resentful towards my dad for, um, yeah, for not talking me out of it. Yeah. Let's do another water. Last one, Ramune, third one, grape. This, you know, I historically I don't like grape drinks at all. Let's punch down the marble. Ah, beautiful head of foam. Oh, wow, that's a strong smell. Okay, so if you're going to have a grape drink, this might be the kind of grape drink you should have because it's just so... Like, it's so sweet. I haven't tasted it yet, but it smells like it's going to be sugary as fuck. Wow. That is just so crazy tasting. Dude, grape drink is... Grape flavor is so different from grapes. Because... Grapes are like the ultimate, the ultimate fruit where you take, you can take just grapes and you mash them down, smush them down and put them in a container and just let them sit. And then they will ferment and develop alcohol and turn into wine. And that wine can taste like anything. It can taste like bananas. It can taste like, you know, a grassy field. It can taste like all different kinds of flowers. It can taste like all different kinds of fruit. It can have notes of anything. Like it's the only, it's the one fruit where you, the sugar level in the grape is perfect to create a perfect amount of alcohol. And there's just something about the skin and the flesh and the liquid and everything in a grape where it can turn into the most beautiful thing and the most variety, like, you can't do that with apples. You can't do that with anything. Like you can create alcoholic beverages from almost any fruit, but no, none of those beverages have the complexity and variety of fermented grape juice, AKA wine. But the one flavor that is never present in wine is the artificial purple grape flavor. <laughs> this flavor that's in this drink the Ramune premium carbonated soft drink grape flavor is a flavor I've never tasted in a glass of wine. 
Why? Why is that? I don't know. It's just such, it's like a, it's a chemical flavor that's almost magical where it, it's almost like it's hovering above my tongue. It's almost like this flavor is little airplanes just crop dusting my tongue with, with grape flavor. It's like a sort of mist descending down upon my tongue. Ah, honestly, hats off because I hate grape flavor, but this is delicious. So I'm going to give this a nine out of 10 because yeah, because I like it. I like it. So sweet. Uh, ooh. The first sips are better when it's ice cold and super fizzy. And then when, as soon as that starts to fade, it's, ooh, as soon as that grape flavor feels a little bit uh, worn out, it's awful. It's awful. Uh, nine out of 10. So, uh, was there something else? Yeah, I don't know. It's pretty embarrassing, the whole thing. It, there's this one moment I remember from the dream where someone, <clears throat> one of these people, one of the superheroes was telling this other superhero like um, about a party that we're going to go to afterwards or something, social function, and there was some question... Someone said something to the effect of like that they'd kissed Elijah and then it was clear, it became clear from contextual clues that they were talking about Elijah Wood because there was some sort of a cross promotion going on between the, the Lord of the Rings universe and this Avengers movie that they were in. And I felt excluded from that. Why doesn't this make sense? It doesn't make sense because... A sensible human emotion when people around you are successful is to be happy for them and to realize that success for anyone is good. And I mean, honestly, if it was true that like 12 people I went to fifth grade with was in a high budget Hollywood movie, that would be... Like the actual, the real thing that that would mean would, would be that I would then, it would be very easy for me to get, get invited along to go to a party or two. You know what I'm saying? Like this feeling of being excluded is manufactured in me. Now, you know, this movie is obviously not real and everything, but, but it still remains true that like these people that... I was friends with and that I rejected. The truth is that I rejected them, you know? And I never felt, I mean, I rejected them out of fear because I felt like they were cooler than me. So I rejected them because, I, because of fear of being rejected myself pushed me out. So I've had conversations with them 
where they're like, yeah. I remember this one of the girls. Oh, man. So much stuff going on there. But there was this one of the girls in this group I was very good friends with for many, many years of my youth. And I always sort of had a crush on her, I think. But I was also very happy to be her friend because she was fun. And we went on a trip together once and there was a little bit of a thing that happened. You know? A little bit of, little bit of hand-holding, if you know what I mean. And then for some reason after that, I felt like it was time for me to exclude myself. And then years later, she was, she complained that I never talked to them anymore. She complained that I was so distant and she thought that I, she talked about it as like, you know, before that period when, before you got all weird, you know, before I got all, before I made myself all different. And that was me, you know, like that was my role. My role was that I did the whole thing. My role is that I keep doing the whole thing. You know, like, if I wanted to get on their life path today, I could get on their life path today, but I get in the way of myself. And if I wanted to be friends with all of them today, I, I probably could. And uh, instead I choose to uh, isolate myself because that's really... That's really the fear. The fear is isolation. The thing about my dad's life that I was most fearful of was the isolation. It wasn't that he didn't have any money. It's just that the money led to isolation. And, you know, it's not that he didn't have a job. It's just not having a job leads to isolation. <clears throat> and um, he's a very isolated man because he chose to be isolated, because he was fearful. I don't know why, honestly. I don't know why he chose to be isolated, but he did. He sure did. And he very rarely leaves his apartment. Very rarely. And, yeah. I've talked about that in the past, how I um, have those feelings where I can see how that's the most comfortable thing. I don't know. I become fearful and then I self-isolate and you know. Maybe one day I will ask for these fears to be removed, you know. I'll sit down with my higher power and, and I'll humbly ask. Yeah. God, I had a lot of soda just now. 34 years old, just drank three sodas. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe I feel a little bit better. Maybe I feel a little bit lighter saying all of that into a microphone. I shouldn't, I mean, shouldn't, I shouldn't use that word. Um, it does not make sense for me to be resentful of my dad. My dad just did his thing, you know? 
he just did that thing where you perpetuate uh, intergenerational pain, you know? <laughs> Fuck. Uh, scratch that. He just lived his life, and then I'm living my life, and I get in my way, you know? He's not the one... Oof, I mean, he does get in the way a little bit. The truth is that this morning I woke up from a nightmare... And then I checked my phone and I had three voice messages from my dad. And each time when I wake up to a voice message from my dad, I hope that it will be a voice message where he sounds sober and where he tells me something that makes sense. Where he's like, you know, I have found a way to be with my emotions without getting wasted. And I am sitting here and I'm living my life and I would like to talk to you. Like, that's what I want him to say, you know, any variation of that. But in reality, these three voice messages that I woke up to this morning, I listened to them and all three were just silence. It's an eight second message. It's a nine second message and it's a 41 second message. And all three of them are just silence because he's too wasted to figure out how the interface works. He cannot figure out that there's a green button. You hold the button and you talk and you let go of the button and the message is sent. He can't figure that out, you know, even though he's had years of years of trying so somehow what he does is he holds down the button for eight seconds, lets go, sends me an eight-second silence, and then does the same thing for nine seconds. And then somehow he does the same thing for a 41-second message. <sighs> and then what I feel listening to that silence is what I feel is the fear of Becoming someone who cannot understand an interface like that. Yeah? Because who knows what technological interfaces will look like when I'm, when I turn 60 years old, you know? 26 years from now. Who knows? Maybe there'll be something that I won't be able to understand. And I'll be sending, I mean, will I have kids? I don't know. Hopefully. Hopefully I'll have kids and hopefully I won't send them messages of silence. And I guess the only person getting in the way from all those things playing out as good as possible is me, you know? I'm the one. I'm the one manufacturing my own suffering here. Today I was thinking about like, so I'm, I'm um, doing this JavaScript course for, because um, I think if you want to be a good UX or UI designer, you have to know the programming maybe a little bit. Uh, and then I was thinking about today how maybe part of why I want to be a user interface designer is this, because my dad can't figure out any user interface of anything. 
this is ah, it doesn't make any sense that statement, but but that's how I feel. And then there are many, many, many examples. Like last year, a year ago, I went to Sweden. I land in Denmark, Copenhagen, and my dad is the one meeting me at the airport, and. He looks unwell, and he's got a strange, tiny backpack, and and we're at the airport in Denmark, and we're going to take the train back to Sweden, and there is a ticket vending machine, right? And the ticket vending machine is different from anything I've seen, kind of, because I haven't been ba- back for a while, and it's new. It's new to me, but he lives there. And he doesn't drive. And he takes the train everywhere. He takes the train every day. So one could assume that he would know how to operate this ticket vending machine. Because it's his main mode of transportation. But so in the first three minutes of meeting him, we end up in front of this ticket vending machine. And he can't figure it out. And I'm looking at it. And it's just like a touch screen with, you know, you just touch where you want to go. You pick how many tickets you want. Like, it's very, very straightforward. And my dad can't figure it out. And he won't let me do it. And instead, he calls over like an attendant. And he and the attendant is confused as to what part of it he needs help with. Because it's really just a, just press the button, you know? And then he's rude to the attendant. And I stand there and it's the same thing, man. It's just like somehow his total failure in life always has something to do with a user interface experience, like a technological, I don't know. I don't have anything deep to say about that, but I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to solve the situation not by finding him a way to live his life sober, but instead by changing every user interface on earth, you know, because those are the kinds of solutions that a subconscious will come up with. If you let the unconscious part of you come up with solutions, that's the kind of shit you end up with. And then you live your whole life like that. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Let's talk more about this next week. Thank you for listening. That was our review of three flavors of Ramune Premium Carbonated Soft Drink. Orange. Peach. Grape. If you enjoy the podcast, then be a sport and recommend it to a friend. And that brings us to our closing segment. Sparkling water, sparkling mind. Take a seat. And sit a little bit more straight. Rest your hands on your legs. Feel the bottom of your feet touching the ground. Notice the weight of your body existing in space. When I tell you to relax, relax. Not yet. Relax now. Don't have thoughts. Inhale. 
long and hard and hold that air in your lungs. Hold it. Inhale a little bit more. Inhale more. Inhale more. Hold that air in your lungs. Think of how inconsequential you are. Think of how God won't save you. Think of how you're a liar. Think about the last time you had sex. Think about your father. Close your eyes now. Exhale. Long and hard and big. Exhale. Now. <laughs> 